Good morning. Today we'll be reading Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the book Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he has taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by the convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God while staying with them he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, Galilee why, would, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Very good. Um, before you read that, we got into a conversation, right, on the name, Theophilus. Or um, some people will say Theophilus, Theophilus. Um, but something really interesting, um, by the way, if you want to follow along with today's sermon, open up to Acts chapter 1. Um, we're going to camp out on a small portion of that. But the, uh, the name, Theophilus, it's, it's two terms put together. It is a person named Theophilus, but um, in Greek, the name Theos, you hear it, Theophilus, Theos means God, all right? The name philo, Philos or Philos means friend. You put those two together, you have friend of God, all right? So when you read that, um, that's what that name means. So, um, oh, friend of God. Oh, Theophilus, and um, like I said, Theophilus was a person. Um, so, Evelyn, you're saying something right now? I'm, I'm ha having sign language from my wife right now. What? How about that? Is that better? <laughs> I'm, jo I'm joking with you. Um, you know, I notice in my videos every week when I watch the sermon, I do go over them as I speak. I'm like, I, I got the cleaning up thing out of the way here, so this is nice and clean. But um, I, I reach back, I make sure this is on first, and then I do this, and then the sermon begins. So um, the longer this takes, Okay, I haven't started the sermon yet, just to let you know. Um, but let's, let's get into this. Um, this is from Acts chapter 1, so we're going to work our way into this. But check this out. Within the Christian calendar, all right, we have seasons in the life of the church that we celebrate here. And we enter into these seasons as a way to remember the stories of the scripture. 
all right? And we do that by living them out in our everyday lives. And the ones, you know, the seasons that tend to stand out for uh, most of us are what? The Advent season that leads up to the Christmas season. And then you have the season of Lent, which leads up to the Easter event. Those are seasons that we celebrate in the life of the church. But Easter, just like Christmas, it doesn't end the day after Easter. I mean, or on Christmas, it just doesn't end when Christmas hits, you celebrate, yay, hooray, you know, Christ is born, and then it's over. It's not, it's not over them. It actually begins. That's the beginning of the Christmas season. So when you get to Easter, when you come to church on that Sunday, you have that glorious celebration, hallelujah, he is risen, the day is over. It doesn't mean Easter is over. Easter actually begins, and we enter into a season called Easter season, which we are in right now. Now, the Easter season goes until Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes down and ushers in the church age. And right now, we are in the age of the church. We are in the church age. So here's a little math for you, just basic math. In total, the Easter season is actually 50 days long. And during 40 out of those 50 days, there were eyewitness accounts, witnesses of Jesus. They saw Jesus appearing in his physically resurrected body to various people. That is what happened during the Easter. That's what happens during the Easter season. These post-resurrection accounts of Jesus. And this wasn't just Jesus simply appearing for no reason. He just didn't pop in. I just decided to you know, stop by and say, hi, how are you doing? It wasn't that, and then he disappears to show up later. Hey, how you guys doing? You doing all right? You missed me yet? <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that. He would show up and appear, and he would spend time teaching the people. He taught the people how the Holy Scriptures were fulfilled in him, and he prepared them for his final departure, his ascension into heaven. And that brings us to today's scripture in Acts chapter 1. Now I said that Jesus was only with us 40 out of the 50 days. And that's because on day 40, Jesus ascends into heaven. And that's what we are celebrating today, Ascension Sunday, which actually happened on Thursday. All right? You missed it. <laughs> All right? Oh, it was awesome. I was there. All right? Yeah, 2,000 years ago. Okay? But it happened Thursday, and we're celebrating it today. And so what I want to do right now is, is read a small portion of the scripture that leads up to Jesus' his ascension. And we're going to camp out around the, this portion of scripture. So Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Pay close attention to these words here. So when they had come together, Jesus and 11 of the apostles, minus 1, all right? If you're wondering who that is, ask me after the service, all right? So when they had come together, and they came together on Mount Olivet, all right, where Jesus prayed in the garden, that area right there. So they're all together, and the apostles, they ask him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to is of Israel? And he replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and in all of Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Now something that stands out in verse 6 is that the apostles were focused on the kingdom of Israel. 
That's important. But they were focused on the kingdom of Israel while Jesus was focused on an entirely different kingdom. Jesus was focused on the kingdom of God. And that is a very important distinction. And the kingdom of God was literally one of the main reasons that Jesus was sent by God. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus himself tells a crowd of people, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the others, other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. A lot of times we're like, well, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel message of Jesus Christ, didn't he? No, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news about the kingdom of God. He didn't say, you know, you know here I am. He didn't do that. He talked about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Very important right there. He didn't even come proclaiming the kingdom of Israel, which is what they were focused on. Really important. So that was Jesus' purpose. So you would think that after all those years of witnessing firsthand, Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that the apostles would have caught on all those years. In their view, here's what they're thinking. Jesus was now going to enter into the temple, the temple in Jerusalem, in all his glory, in his physically resurrected body, with all his might, and claim his rightful seat on the throne in Jerusalem. And from that position in the Jerusalem temple, in Jerusalem, Jesus was going to rule, and he was going to restore the kingdom of Israel. And then all the nations around would fall in line. That's what they were thinking. That's what they were asking. But Jesus wasn't going to take that throne, was he? Jesus, as they would see, witness in a few moments, and they would experience this, was going to ascend to take a seat on an entirely different throne, right? The heavenly throne. The heavenly throne is the rightful throne of our King Jesus. He ascended to a heavenly throne, which means we are not waiting for a king to start ruling. We are ruled by a king. We have a king, King Jesus, and he is seated on his heavenly throne, not an earthly throne. Amen to that? I, I, I need a bigger amen to that. Jesus has ascended on his throne. Get ready for it. Jesus has ascended, taken his throne, all right, to be ruler over all. Amen to that? Amen. There you are. <laughs> there you are. I'm awake. Are you awake? All right. I'm here to wake you up right now. And check this out. If you notice in the bulletin, today's scripture sentences from Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, when Jesus states that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He took the proper throne, if you ask me. But there is something else that the apostles imply in verse 6. In addition to them being focused on the wrong kingdom, they were, in a sense, also expecting Jesus to do all the work. All the work in bringing about this kingdom. And even more than that, they were expecting everything to happen within their lifetime, right then and there. And you see this in how they put the question. You ready for this? Jesus, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this the time when you will? 
You know, there are moments in my life, and I'm sure there are moments in your life where Jesus would, you, you just want Jesus to do it all. Jesus, will you do all the work for me? Because I'm just messing it up. It's tiresome work. You do it. Seriously, Jesus would, would most definitely do the work better than any of us, right? What's the saying? Why don't you take the wheel, Jesus, right? Jesus, you take the wheel, all right? You ever hear that? It's a song, right? Don't try it, okay? But my suggestion, don't try that. But we say, Jesus, you take the wheel. You take over. Or better yet, make all my troubles go away, Jesus. Not tomorrow, but today. I don't want this to be a priceless. I want you to snap your fingers. Make it all go away. Make everything right. I wish Jesus would just bring heaven now and come now and make everything better. Why does everything have to be such a drawn-out process? Have you ever felt that way? Jesus, you do it. And not tomorrow, but today. You fix it all. But God doesn't work that way, does he? Instead, God invites us into his work, and God's work often takes time. Think about this. It was around 2,000 years, 2,000 years between the time God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and the time of Jesus' birth in the Gospels, 2,000 years. Be patient, people. <laughs> be patient. Why? God is working. There is work to be done. And it's been close to 2,000 years from Jesus' resurrection until now. Here, today. Be patient. Be patient. God's still working, and he has invited each and every one of you into the work of his kingdom. You are kingdom workers. But as far as when God decides to usher in his final chapter, only God knows. But until then, God has work for us to do. And you see Jesus turning the work of the kingdom over to the apostles in verses 7 through 8. Listen to these words. It's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what was the work that Jesus charged them with here? The work was to be witnesses. In other words, they were to go out and put into practice everything that Jesus taught them during their time with him over the past several years. That's what they were to do. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God, and now it was their turn. So you see, this wasn't just a simple type of witnessing here. It was the task to go out and change the world, beginning right where they were in Jerusalem, and then eventually to the ends of the earth. No pressure. No pressure. That's what I want you to do. You see what Jesus did here, right? They were asking Jesus to do something for them, but Jesus turned everything around, and now it was their turn to do something. Help Jesus change the world, and they did exactly that. This unlikely, unqualified group of people were chosen by God to change the world. So let me ask you this question. Would you have chosen these people? The people that Jesus chose, would you have chosen them? No way. 
Let me remind you that in the recent past, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. That's recent. I don't know. How about this one? Peter also took a sword and cut someone's ear off. That's not good Christian behavior, all right? I'm glad that's not going on here, you know? That is not cool, <laughs> right? All those years and bam, Jesus is like, oh my goodness, you don't get it, do you? Further, these people that Jesus chose to change the world all abandoned him when the going got tough. Yay, team! <laughs> right? These are my people. And yet Jesus turns around and reinstates all of them. So let's be honest, not, none of us here would, would have picked the ones that Jesus did, right? You wouldn't pick, pick those people. If I had to choose someone, if I had to do some an interview process, the things I would look for are things like strength, success, authority. Can you get the job done? I want previous results. Show me what you've done, and we'll, we'll determine what you can do here. What makes you think that you're good enough for the job, right? What I don't want is a list of failures. I don't look at job resumes and this is going to sound harsh, okay, but I don't look at job resumes and say, wow, this person is perfect for the job. They completely suck. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't do that. Get them on board. They're going to mess up everything. I love it. They're terrible. Yet here we have a group of people from Galilee who failed time and time again. And I honestly would not have selected this group of people. And truth be told, neither would you. We choose people based upon resumes and skills and past accomplishments. We choose people who are pre-qualified. But God chooses the character of a person. God chooses their heart and their ability. He knows their potential. He chooses the ability to learn and grow and take on new challenges and challenge the people that he's called them to lead, to move forward in the mission of the kingdom of God. God qualifies the unqualified. And he equips the unequipped for his purpose. That is our God. And again, the task that Jesus left them with was to go out and change the world. Can you do that? It wasn't like go over here and start a small church. Go over there and start a small church and we'll see what happens. Nope. Go out and change the world. And if you're a Christian here today with us, it's because this group of people who were molded out of failure succeeded in their task to go out and change the world for Christ. You are part of the ends of the world, the ends of the earth. This is exactly where you have been written into the scriptures. You can look at that and say, Jesus was talking about me there. Lastly, when you read through the book of Acts, it becomes very clear that the mission of the Holy Spirit was to build the church to continue the work that Jesus Christ began, to move things forward. And so today, close to 2,000 years later, because that's where we are, the church has been established as a universal presence on earth, and the world has been shaped by the Holy Spirit. You are under the influence of living in a world shaped by the Holy Spirit. 
There was a time when the presence of the Holy Spirit wasn't prominent on the earth as it is now. 2,000 years of influence under the Holy Spirit. We have charities. We have hospitals. We have compassion on a level that wasn't before. And we take that for, advantage, we take that for granted. 2,000 years. The Holy Spirit. And so... Now we have been handed the baton, and it's our turn to run. How hard are you running? And eventually that baton, you know what happens with the baton when you run it? You pass it on, right? You pass it on. And listen to this. The Holy Spirit still has a mission to accomplish in the world, and now we have been made part of God's mission. We are running. I believe that the mission of the Holy Spirit in 2022, now get this, focus here, is not to build the church in America. Not, no, mm -mm. I believe that the mission of the Holy Spirit is to rebuild and reunite the church in America. That's what I believe. We got work to do. And I can't speak for other nations because I, I know America. That's what I know. And right now, America needs God. It's not enough just to say that. I read it all the time. America needs God. But what are you doing about it? We're on a mission. How well are we running right now? Right now, America needs God. And there seems to be a gross lack of unity and harmony everywhere that I look. Everywhere that my eyes read the text a lack of unity a lack of harmony and that includes the church people we need to unite we need to unite and watch the christian flag ascend america needs god and we show god through being unified not divided We unify. We don't talk about separation. We unify. Because when I read the scriptures, God is always trying to bring people together. And whenever I see people dividing, it is not of God. God wants his people together, working together, working things out. Not talking about separation, not talking about going to your own prospective corners and devising a plan on how to attack the other side. That is going on in the world right now. Everyone is at each other's throats. You don't come together to divide. You come together and you're united in Jesus Christ. So how are we to rebuild Well, first, we need to engage and continue to nurture the gifts that we've been given right here at St. John, the body of Christ right here. And now, more than ever, I believe that we really have to embrace the fact that the church is the people. It's made up of people. And we need to show the world that the church is not an institution. It's the people. It's the presence of God on earth. It's a picture of the heaven to come. We need to live up 
to as well as live into our true identities as Christians. I wish the world could see St. John. The people here. You glow. <laughs> you do. I want the world to see that. You know how they're going to see it? You go out into the world and you invite people in. Be an invitational people. You can do it. You can do it. We're ready. And that's how we can bring God to America by showing God to our neighbor and loving neighbor. So from this point forward, we need to be praying for peace and harmony, and we need to be working toward unity. That's the theme right there. Unity in Jesus Christ, who gave his life as the ultimate sacrifice for all who freely choose him. For it is in him that we have been given true, abundant life. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit.